What a wonderful game of cricket we are witnessing here. It's not over yet, but there's a moment in the Women's Cricket World Cup that Christy Havel, cricketer, sports writer and broadcaster, will never forget. I won't forget standing in the scorer's box um, on Sunday night. In the air. When uh, India had bowled a no ball uh, in the last over of the game. And that essentially flipped the game on its head. And with that, all the hearts in India start breaking. As once that no ball was signalled and and you know the free hit and then needing two runs off two balls, just that wow moment of of what just happened. This is unbelievable. She went for the big hit. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on the detail, as fans and players get set for the final of the World Cup this weekend at Hagley Oval, I look back on a month like no other for women's cricket. This event is finally up and running. Yes, it does feel like a long time since New Zealand were awarded this tournament. And uh, it's a major tournament here in New Zealand for the first time in, what, 22 mm. years. It was, of course, set to be this time last year, but like a lot of things, a lot of events had to be delayed 12 months because of the COVID pandemic. And there's an audience, albeit a very small one, all the uh, venues are now allowed to have 10% capacity. That almost wrecked the whole tournament, don't you think? Yeah, it could have been uh, a real uh, hit for the the game. The fact that they're now going to have people there means that uh, the players have got something to play for. We are removing all outdoor gathering limits. The Cricket World Cup will be able to have crowds for the business end of the tournaments. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a high five uh, with my comms manager, actually. But no, no, we were just really, really pleased. And it's something that we hoped for. Um, and to have it confirmed today is just awesome. It's done wonders for the game, but it wasn't easy getting there. Today I'm talking to former Wellington rep player Joe Murray, her dad Bruce played for New Zealand and her two daughters, Amelia and Jess Kerr, are white ferns. But for more on what it's been like behind the scenes, we're back at the scorer's box with Canterbury magician Christy Havel, who's been running Hagley Oval during the event. There's the run. The Proteus train continues. In the... There was a lot going on to make sure that in such a crunch moment that you don't get the scoring wrong. So, uh, yeah, it was quite surreal. Was your heart pounding at the time? Uh, no, it's, uh, if it was the white friends, I'd be a nervous wreck, but no, I, I wasn't too worried either way as to the result. I still had to turn up to work the next day. So, um, where are you right now? I am at Hagley Oval looking after the South Africa training. And what does that entail? I do all of the setup for their trainings and then anything they need during, and then I pack up and clean up after them. And long and days. Long days. And that's only one of your jobs, isn't it? I've been speaking to Jo Murray. She highlighted your story as a really good example of what this World Cup has done, not just for the team, not just for cricket, but for individuals like you. Writing for Newsroom, have articles published and stuff. She's been doing some BBC radio commentary on some of the games, and she's she's looking after one of the venues at Hagley Oval as ops um, person for the World Cup down there. Mm. So the opportunity is presenting people, not just the players, is is massive for the game as well. How are you feeling about it as it comes to an end? It's a tough one to answer. I mean, 
I mean, personally, it's exhausting um, doing so many different things, but at the same time, you love it because the tournament itself is just phenomenal in terms of the skill that's on show and then the quality of cricket and then the nail-biting finishes as well. You almost don't want it to end, but it's what makes the tournament so special is that it, it comes around every four years and this time around it is definitely delivered and potentially is the best World Cup for men or women in history. So, oh, Why um, do you say that, Christy? Well, I think across the board, every game has been of a high quality and, and the close finishes. I don't think we've ever had men or women, I don't think we've ever had as many close finishes either in the last over or single-digit margins or matches won on the last ball. I don't think we've ever had as many before. And so I think it just goes to show that, you know, things are really looking up for women's cricket. Um, still a long way to go, but we're definitely definitely on our way up, that's for sure. And... Speaking of your role in, in sort of as a commentator and in the media, what do you think about the kind of coverage that it's had? I think it's only this World Cup and potentially last World Cup where every game was televised. So it's still in its infancy in terms of the constant game coverage. Um, but then obviously the digital presence this time around through the ICC, the different television um, networks from around the world and all here sort of trying to produce their own digital content to engage with everyone on social media has obviously gone through the roof as well and because people can't travel to be here in person so they're having to deliver a lot of content on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok to try and engage with everyone. So in terms of the press and media, um, a lot of people turning up online on the Zoom uh, press conferences and not many are attending in person, which is probably to do with the COVID restrictions. But overall, the coverage has been has been exponentially increased and, and that just, again, shows that people out there really have an appetite for it because they can see it, so they want more of it. You don't know what you don't know. But you say it's got a long way to go, so... What needs to happen next? The, it's the amount of resource that gets put into such a tournament. I mean, the prize money for one is an, is an easy one to point at in terms of we're still quite a long way behind. Um, I know the ICC have big plans to eventually reach parity with prize money between men's and women's tournaments. but What's the prize take, money at the moment? Uh, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but I think we're about half of what the men get. Um, so those things take a long time, though, because it's often attached to broadcast rights cycles, which are every eight years or so. But also, I think, you know, probably just the level of, of resource that gets put into these sorts of tournaments. I mean, this is probably the first time a World Cup has been played at six high-quality grounds around the country, whereas some... Some World Cups, you, the women often get relegated out to smaller venues where the wickets aren't quite as good and, and so then you, you struggle to get high-quality matches. So I think we've taken really good strides this tournament, but there's always, there's always things you can work on to get it up to that level of a men's World Cup and so then you, you struggle to get high-quality matches. So I think we've taken really good strides this tournament, but 
there's always there's always things you can work on to get it up to that level of a men's world cup mm. I must admit and and I talked to Joe Murray about this as well that you know when I heard the interview with Andrea Nelson on the BBC on Stumped I think it was right at the beginning of the tournament, and she said... Yeah, so we've got some really amazing physical legacies here in New Zealand, and one thing I'm particularly proud of, and it was actually when I went for my job interview for this role, I talked about the fact that that female athletes often can't change at the facilities after they uh, perform because they had the toilets don't have cubicles, the showers don't have, have, have walls or, or doors. Um, as a result of this tournament, all of the facilities at all of our venues are now female-friendly. So that that's is a fantastic. huge physical <laughs> investment. Um, that's sort of a small thing. Light. You just yeah, imagine that is in place anyway. Well, yeah, you'd think so. But you talk at Eden Park, there were two cubicles. So if you imagine even the rugby team going on to play, having to queue up or use the public loos, it's, it shows you It shows you sometimes it's a small thing. I mean, I, I was kind of shocked, actually, that there aren't already proper changing rooms and toilets for women. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these grounds, uh, not so much Hagley Oval because it's a new facility, but, you know, the likes of the Basin Reserve and, and Seddon Park and Eden Park and, and all those sorts of venues, they've been around a long time. And, you know, it's really expensive to refurbish facilities and venues and can be really hard to secure funding. So um, the fact that we were able to utilise a World Cup as a vehicle for improving our facilities for many generations to come is is a huge positive. How um, disappointing is it for you that New Zealand hasn't got to this stage? Yeah, look, I mean, as a fan, you're obviously pretty disappointed um, because these these are the players that you look up to and you really support. Um, but in terms of, of as a, you know, from being a player, you get an understanding of, of how hard uh, how hard it is to go out and perform as a team week in, week out. You know that a game can be decided by one or two moments and, and sometimes you do come out on the losing side of them. And yeah, it's a shame we didn't make it, but at the same time, that's that's what we're here for is, is cutthroat tournament cricket and finding the best in the world. And to be the best, you have to beat them. And cutthroat cricket it has been. Just listen to this. Weak, weakened, she weakened McGrath, she got her girl, she, man, she really had to work Point and that's four more. Terrific from Katie Martin. There's a chance for a run out. Oh, chicken. What a good catch that is. Tying the dump to perfection. It's given out. What about the moment straight away? Well, for Joe Murray, top-level cricket is a three-generation game. She grew up around Basin Reserve, where her father, Bruce, played. Now she and her husband, Robbie Kerr, also a top cricketer, have been travelling the country following their own daughters. When I grew up, it was really unusual, I suppose, for primary school-aged girls to be playing cricket. I remember that I knew that there was one girl that I was sort of thinking, oh, I wish I could be like her and playing cricket, but she was playing with all the boys and I didn't really get a chance to play till I got to college. And I remember always saying to dad, can you teach me how to throw like a boy? <laughs> and if we were you know, holiday near a lake, it would be throwing stones 
into the ribbons or the lakes or whatever, just learning how to throw that way. And then, yeah, when I started at, I started at Tower College and they had quite a few girls cricket teams. Uh, there were some really cool older girls who I really looked up to. So they were sort of my role models, I suppose, was just the ones who were playing school girls cricket. And, but in my mind, they looked like superstars the way they played the game. What was it like for you? I mean, in terms of the facilities, the coaching, it's definitely been a man's sport. And to me, it seems that way until really, you know, this generation. But I might be wrong on that. It was a mix of both, really. So you had, you know, amazing women running the sport. Um, there was a Women's Cricket Association back then. It wasn't integrated with New Zealand cricket. But they were, you know, hugely passionate about the game and the development of the young ones coming through. On my first red tournaments, I think they were run really well back in the day, like Nikki Turner, who was a New Zealand player. She had these amazing tournaments that you'd run where it was like under-19s or under-17s, and you'd have coaching in the morning. So all teams would go and get coached by potentially, you know, current white ferns as well. So you had a really great opportunity to see your role models up close at those training camps. And you'd re- at, at that time, you were really learning all aspects of the game, even like, you know, what fielding positions were called. And so it was really inspired how they did that. When you were playing for Wellington and now seeing your daughters playing, how much have things changed in a generation for women cricketers? I suppose for us, the big thing in terms of that coverage was uh, I played against White Ferns, and so I could see, you know, Debbie Hockley in action, Leslie Murdoch, Nikki Turner, Linda Fraser, um, just some massive role models of the game, um, you know, Debbie Hockley, who, who was a superstar, and I got to see them, you know, because I played cricket and was in the, the national tournaments that they were at, so I was lucky enough to see them live there but you did not get many spectators to those games I remember going along to one game at the Basin where it was a Rose Bowl series with Australia versus New Zealand and going along to that but it mainly was just other female cricketers that were watching back Mm. then so this was in the late 80s I suppose so there weren't the crowds you didn't get to see them on TV so I never actually really apart from that game I never saw the White Ferns play so I didn't get to see them play against you know England or most of the Aussie games or, or anything else. So that's changed massively that now it's it's on TV. You can follow um, your players. There was no, there was hardly any uh, media coverage at all. I remember that being a real frustration of mine is just, I mean, women's sport in general, just thinking where is all the coverage? There's just nothing there really? for us to follow. Yeah, I remember... Actually, I was, uh, I was at Victoria University and doing a, um, a music degree, actually, which I did first. But um, I did a women's studies paper, and one of them was one of my projects that I did was on on women's sport um, and the media coverage there is, and just the lack of column inches. <laughs> you relied on people playing the sport, I suppose, to get any coverage that they could. Yeah. Um, in the paper, and I think that's the great thing now. Where you're looking at the World Cup, and every day there's been something on the TV news. There's been stories on Seven Sharp and on Breakfast. There's 
everyday articles, one or two in the paper that you've got in your bed as well. But that's what happens when you get more coverage, isn't it? There's mm. um, more critique. But I just think positive or negative, there's people talking about women's cricket. So you can't really complain, you know, like if you, um, you know, it's just come a long way from back in those days where those players who played back then deserve just as much coverage as, as what we're getting now. But it's taken this long to get there because there were, you know, they were massive superstars back in the day. I just feel sad that they didn't get the same sort of accolades potentially as, as some of the players today have yeah. and the same sort of opportunities to play as much cricket around the world and not pay for it themselves. That's and another difference. The quality of the game. I mean, I'm hearing that it's, you know, that it's the best it's ever been, although the, the White Ferns have been disappointing. And gone, 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 gone. Would it have made a lot of difference in terms of the profile of the game here in New Zealand if they had got to that final four? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure, you know, if they got to the final four and now that we can have full crowds, um, it would have been amazing to have a, you know, have a semi or even a final where you could have a, a, a packed, you know, packed venues supporting the white fans because, you know, the noise at Eden Park at the Basin Reserve, oh, it, was, it was amazing to be sitting in the stand at Eden Park and on the bank at the Basin Reserve and just hear the support all the white ferns mm. um, set in well with a close game there. So, you know, that is sad that that um, won't happen, that we won't have that opportunity in your own home country to have them, you know, incredible support of the crowd. You know, I think they've been blooming exciting games, you know, last over matches. Fell just short, just short, 49.5 overs. We would have loved to be on the on the other side of even just one of them would have been great, but it just wasn't to be. But, you know, what now biting finishes to be, um, you know, for, for viewing. People weren't turning off their TVs. They weren't leaving the game early. They were there right till the bitter end. And as I said, you know, no one feels it more than the actual players themselves. Just going back to media coverage, it's, as you say, it's great that, that they're finally doing stories about um, sportswomen. But... It, there's also a lot of a lot more openness to the game, which is very public as well. And and you know the players talk about their mental health. And I know your own daughter has, and and the captain Sophie Devine has. I always knew that I wanted to come back to cricket. I just knew that I needed time away from it. I didn't know how long I needed or what it looked like, but I knew I needed to step away from the game for the, I guess, the sake of my own health. Do you think? that's a good thing or, or I just wonder whether you know it takes the focus off the sport or is that that part of being a top sports person yeah well I think it has been you know it has been incredibly tough for all you know male and female athletes over these past couple of years in particular you know with the bubble situation um around the world so when they're touring it's been it's been really tough when you can't get out and just do the things you love and you're often in your hotel room so it has probably been quite isolating I think it has been tough for different reasons for for Mealy and Sophie but I think the thing that both of them see now with what they've been through is they're quite willing to be open about it um, that they can share the fact that it's better to ask for help early and that you know, mental health can affect anyone. You can seemingly have it all and living the dream in, in lots of ways, but things 
can sometimes go wrong. So I think they've both been really brave and I know personally that has you know, resonated with a lot of people with, with feedback they've both got. Well, they're hoping for big crowds at Hagley Park this weekend for the final, but Christy Havel says packed-out stadiums are not what this tournament will be remembered for. You can't point to crowd numbers as a huge indicator of success for a legacy because of the crowd restrictions, whereas at the T20 World Cup in Australia in 2020, their crowd numbers were a huge success in terms of selling out 80,000 at the final. We, aren't, we haven't quite got the same luxury here, but I think it's probably that just the amount of coverage around the world and in New Zealand that it received has really sort of started to infiltrate into a lot of homes around the world. So a lot more people are talking about it. A lot more people are becoming aware as to what cricket is. And they're seeing these women perform acts of brilliance on television that they had never seen before or never thought possible. And so all of a sudden it flicks the switch as to what is possible. And that's just not even young girls either. That's young boys as well who just idolise these players out on the field. So that's always the legacy is, is harnessing the minds that you touched. We only have to look at our own White Ferns team who were in, in the crowd watching the final in 2000. There's a number of us players that were inspired by those players who played in that tournament. And it's pretty incredible to think now here we are some 20 odd years later. And then they turn around and start playing cricket because of those women in 2000 lifting the trophy. So it'll be interesting to see how many people in 20 years time we might see in the future white friends saying, yeah, I watched Susie Bates, Sophie Devine at the 2022 World Cup. And of course, this isn't the only Women's World Cup in New Zealand in the next 12 months. The Women's Rugby World Cup starts early October. And then we are co-hosting the FIFA Women's World Cup with Australia next April. Well, that's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. This episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Christy Havel and Joe Murray. Kakite anō.